welcome to another episode of the Punt Return Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Ryan. As always, I'm joined by Nick Splitter. Nick, how you doing, mate? Good, mate. We're uh, getting into the, the habit of doing these morning podcast records now. Yeah, and every time we seem to push the podcast back from a uh, Thursday afternoon to a Friday morning, some type of news drops that benefits us, uh, well, not benefits us, but just gives us a little bit of extra content to talk about. I mean, the the firing of Matt Patricia was an absolute godsend. Oh, it was um, perfect, was probably it? my favourite moment of the podcast this <laughs> season. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll talk about the, the recent news that just dropped a little bit. But I mean, the primary focus at the moment is then there were eight. We're up to the Elite Eight. Uh, we've got eight teams left in the NFL playoffs. What did you think of uh, Super Wildcard Round? I didn't mind it. I liked it. I liked the way that the, the weekend was separated and split up. I liked the fact that the number one seeds got the week off and, and had the bye. And I think it made perfect sense. Yeah, I, I, I didn't mind it from a football watching perspective. Like to have two triple headers in back to back days, it was it was pretty fun to watch. It was a cool experience. Um, I thought uh, it was quite interesting that the, the worst game of the week featured the, the number <laughs> seven seed in the NFC, but then the best probably game of the weekend featured the number seven seed in the AFC. So, I mean, you're always going to have one or two bad teams in the playoffs, especially if you increase the pool. But I mean, I think generally there's probably more positives than not. My my biggest issue with the seven playoff teams is like a lot of players have won multiple rings because they've been the two seed and got a bye week. And now a lot of those benefits aren't going to be afforded to, to QBs such as Patrick Mahomes and things where if they don't get the one seed, they, they don't get the bye anymore. So mm. I think it made it made things a lot easier for some some teams and some quarterbacks that could easily coast to a, to a number two seed playing against a, a weak division like the NFC East, for example. Well, yeah, you know, we spoke last week about some of those things to, to stop tanking and to make that, that week 17 a bit more interesting and stuff. And I think that this potentially, you know, while it didn't have much impact this season, th- that has the, op- the option and the opportunity to make week 17 a bit more important, a bit yeah, more definitely. exciting, if that number two seed has the, has the opportunity to move up um, yeah. to, to be a number one seed. It makes those teams play a bit harder in, in the final week. Yep. We'll, we'll get to proper talking points and results in just a second, but um, this isn't in any of our notes, but what did you think of the, did you get to see the Nickelodeon broadcast at all? <laughs> I saw, I saw highlights of it and uh, look, I love the concept. I thought it was, I thought it was an unreal concept about trying to get more kids into the game and, yeah. and get them watching and asking questions and, and, you know, getting to understand the game a bit more, but yeah. um, execution probably left a little bit to be desired, but yeah, really interesting concept. I think it's a really cool concept and I think maybe it might be something that they do in the past. Maybe it's that afternoon slate of games. They just pick one and have a, have a, like a dual broadcast to get kids into the NFL a little bit more. And, and maybe even if it's a delayed broadcast and they, they show it a few days later or even do like a, a red zone style sort of highlight package of the week and, and have someone like Nate Burleson call it who was awesome. Um, just having it live, there was a few issues. Cordero Patterson dropping an F-bomb on a hot mic um, on Nickelodeon was pretty He swears it him. wasn't him, though. Yeah, <laughs> he swears all right. Um, and also you had uh, the player getting ejected and things like that. So that obviously made it. But I really enjoyed the slime and, and all that sort of stuff. It was actually a really, really fun broadcast. It was probably my second favorite thing over the weekend. And my first favorite was... Uh, me getting the points up victory over you and our head-to-head uh, plays this week in terms of uh, in terms of Baltimore and and I can't even remember what the other games were the, the Rams I guess I think you were on Seattle yeah that's um, the Rams yeah, really been, saved my saved my I, week I've been bracing myself all week to uh, to cop this 
this morning because I knew I was going to cop it, but it is it is what it is. We knew we knew that one of us was going to come away with the chocolates and one of us wasn't. Yeah. Um, and this week it was your turn and uh, well done. Yeah. But, I mean, it wasn't the, the best week. Maybe we'll skip to results and we'll double back. But, I mean, I went 2-1 and one last week on my best bets. Pretty much chopped out overall on the week because I, I was on Pittsburgh and, and they got utterly embarrassed and we'll talk about that in a sec. And then, uh, yeah, I also took the Bills minus. And that was kind of more of an emotional hedge. Unfortunately, it sort of it landed right in the middle where we covered the Colts and still lost. Um, but the Rams really saved my week, especially that three, $3.30 long shot for, the, for them to win one to 13 and um, bless Seattle for sort of backdoor covering that a little bit in a, in a meaningless touchdown um, late. So it was, it was a good week to start sort of super wildcard week and start the playoffs. Yeah, it was. Look, it was fun. The, I, I did what I've done all year, and I chose the wrong the wrong bets for my best. I think because I had the Bills, uh, yeah. the Bills money line. I tipped them by three, I think. Um, yep. And that was that was a pretty good tip, but didn't have it in my best. Um, I tipped the Browns uh, against the spread, and, and that got up. Um, but in my best, I had Pittsburgh money line and uh, <laughs> and the unders, and yeah, that was just that was rough, but. I did save my week with a five dollar long shot with uh, Stefan Diggs' longest reception between thirty and thirty nine yards, so that that helped. Yeah, definitely. That was a that was a cool little long shot uh, there for you. All right, let's um, let's talk biggest takeaways from last week. Um, my my number one takeaway is be aggressive. Punt, punting is for cowards. I mean, <laughs> two of the worst punt decisions I've ever seen were on the weekend. We're in the playoffs here, and they're from two coaches who are generally pretty good at this. Um, Maybe Mike Tomlin not so much, but Mike Vrabel is heralded as a as a, as a smart coach, as a guy that mm. embraces analytics and, and and does all the research. But the Titans punt fourth fourth quarter, fourth and two at the Ravens forty, trailing by four. Like I know Vrabel knows his team better than I do, but I just find it like unfathomable, given his personnel on defense and his personnel on offense. You've got an All Pro running back. You got a. a Quarterback in Ryan Tannehill, that can run the football and is quite mobile. You have a stud receiver in AJ Brown. Your O line's, you know, not bad, but it's not it's not great. It's quality. I, I don't know how you trust your defense over these guys. And that punt was you lost the game on that punt. The Ravens took six minutes forty one off the clock. I think there was ten minutes remaining when they punted and they kicked the field goal to go up seven and, and that was it. And that is losing the game. I don't think you should ever, ever punt in your opponent opponent's territory. Because it only takes one or two plays and they're back to where you are. And most of those punts generally end up as a touchback. And what's the net gain of 20 yards is just, it's mind boggling. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I agree with that theory completely. And th- there's no reason to do it. I mean, especially when you've got an offense like the Titans do, trust your guys. Like you've trusted them all year. And there's been a number of opportunities where, where the Titans have had, you know, fourth down opportunities and they've chosen to go for it. And this was the perfect time to be aggressive and they didn't do it and it, it cost them. Yeah. And then I might, I might have to, we might have to get just, just on that. We might have to get uh, old mate, Dane Roy back on the podcast. So you can tell him that punting is for cowards and uh, we'll yeah. see what he says. Never punt. I mean, I'll say it to his face. I mean, it's not, never the punter's fault, but like the, I'm sure the punters prefer punting like in their own territory so they can really let it rip. Um, and I'm sure that's oh, for sure. He's the, the number, yeah. like he, he tells stories about, you know, some of the, the, uh, decisions that coaches ha- have made when he he was the punter in Houston, and and um, some of those decisions are mind boggling that he you know, he doesn't understand it. Yeah, like Jordan Berry, I think looked baffled when he came out on fourth and one, down twelve, 
their own 46, start of the fourth quarter for the Steelers, I mean, you may as well just throw the white flag in. Like, <laughs> he looks baffled that they were punting, but and then that that was obliterated within seconds. Like the, the, the Steelers punted it away, and then the Browns responded with a six-play 80-yard touchdown drive that included only one rushing attempt. So it's bizarre. The Steelers, like, yeah, it's just bizarre. Little little plug here, but listening to the, the new episode of of Dane's podcast, and he tells a story of of having to punt from the thirty. And the, the kicker's going, I can kick a field goal from here. And the coach called a punt, like he called the punt team. Yeah. And the opposition thought they were playing a, they were playing a trick play and there was nothing. He was like, what am I doing? Why am I punting from the 30? Yeah, exactly. I mean, they both got what they deserved, um, both those teams, in terms of they, they, they lost there and they deserved every bit for that because those decisions are, uh, are awful and they should they should be uh, penalised for it and they were with, a, with an exit from the playoffs. So... Um, hopefully they learn from it and don't do it again. But I mean, it's the playoffs. Be aggressive. Um, you know, Frank Reich did it. I may as well just skip to my second takeaway and then we'll, we'll get to yours. Frank, Frank Reich did it. He was aggressive. Unfortunately, the plays didn't pan out and he's been, he's getting canned for it, but he made the right decisions every time. It's just the play calling and the execution just didn't, didn't go to plan. And that was the biggest thing for me. And he'll lose some sleep over this game because. He was aggressive. It was the right approach. I had no issues with with it going f- from fourth and goal from the four with a minute fifty three left in the in the first half. Um, if they kick the field goal, they're getting three points. But they're also giving the Bills two minutes and a kickoff where they probably score anyway. So I mean, there's no, there's no, it doesn't stop them from scoring it at all. And then every break kind of just went the way of Buffalo on that final two minute drive in the first half. They had those two. Sideline catches that that could have been called either way. I think the first one was definitely out of bounds, and unfortunately, and then we had the dumbest pre-sap penalty since D Ford jumped offside against uh, the Patriots in the in the AFC Championship game with Kamiko Torre, and that just gave Buffalo the extra four points before halftime, and that was the difference. Everyone's going to focus on, oh, they should have kicked the field goal there, and it would have been a tie game, or you know they missed the thirty-three yarder where when uh, Blankenship double doinked a, a field goal attempt, but I mean, I think Reich's management really was was perfect. Apart from challenging a, a, a bad fumble call in the fourth quarter that they could have used that extra time out. But I think in that situation, the way that the Colts played, we outgained the Bills, one field position battle. The Bills were always starting deep in their own territory. We controlled the clock. Um, we made it over halfway every, every drive. Um, we didn't turn the ball over and only committed two penalties. I think 95% of the time you win that game. And... Unfortunately, it was just those sort of five percent plays where things didn't uh, things didn't go our way, and, and unfortunately, we lost that game. But I mean, we were a seventh seed, and we beat many people's Super Bowl. Uh, we should have beat many people's Super Bowl picks. So, like as a Colts fan, I was happy we were competitive, and, and I'm really excited about the roster um, going forward. Now, the issue is what what to do with the, with the quarterback position, and they're going to talk to Rivers in about a month's time after he takes some time away and, and see what he wants to do. Um, I think for me. I think Rivers should retire. I think that's a good game to retire on. Unfortunately, that final drive was a bit ugly. If they just ruled that Zach Pascal fumble a fumble, Rivers would have probably retired in the right way of of having a final touchdown drive taken from his grasp, which is just <laughs> always kind of the Rivers way. He's always down late driving in games, and I think that would have been the perfect finish for him. Yeah, you're, you're right on a lot of that. I mean, there's not much more that Frank Wright could have done. We know how good of a coach he is. We know... Yeah. That, that he's aggressive on offense. We know that he likes taking those chances. And, you know, you can see see the impact that him leaving Philadelphia has had on, on their offense since he since he 
went to Indy. Um, and yeah, I mean the, the quarterback situation in Indy is a really interesting story over the over the off season. It's going to be super cool to see what happens there. Um, but uh, I'm sure we'll talk about that in a lot more detail over the next the next couple of weeks as well. Yeah, definitely. And for me, I think this is probably will link into one of your takeaways is the Steelers. I mean, they need they need a change of something, whether it's coach, quarterback, GM. Um, they have fired their offensive coordinator this morning, so that, that could be the change that, that they potentially need. But they've underachieved with that roster for, for nearly a decade now. They've had some mm-hmm. ugly playoff lex- exits, and it's just there's something off there. It's just not quite right. Even though they win 11 games or they've been 11-0 and, and, and things are looking great, you just always kind of have the feeling that they're kind of going to be a lame duck in the playoffs, and it just felt that way. And I think I still think Mike Tomlin's a great coach, but I don't know if he's a, an elite coach, and I definitely think probably a, a change from Big Ben is, is the way they go, but their cap situation makes that completely uh, difficult for them. So I'm not really sure what the issue is, but um, they're also, you know, chirping up a lot as well. <laughs> they are. They are chirping up a lot. And uh, Chase Claypool was the, the one that I was going to mention after the game where uh, he said it didn't matter. It didn't matter that the Browns beat them because they're going to they're gonna get smacked by the Chiefs this week. And they might. doesn't matter if they get smacked by the Chiefs this week, but they beat you fair and square. Like, yeah. you lost, own it, be better, and just move on. Um, so pull your head in, Chase Claypool. But, yeah, you're right. I yeah. think there are changes that need to be made in, in that offense, and I think the obvious one is Ben Roethlisberger. I mean, you look at the, the, the guys that they've got in the skill positions, you look at their offensive line, really, he's the weak link, and it's not often that we've said that about Pittsburgh over the, the last 10 or 15 years, but the weak link in that Pittsburgh offense is a quarterback, and uh, it's the obvious change that, that needs to be made, and I think they should make it this this off season. I don't know if he retires or if he tries to have a crack somewhere else, but um, yes, that's going to be another interesting one as well. I think if they cut him, they actually save some money. That at the moment, they I think they save about five mil or something, or three mil or something. Oh, their projected cap room at the moment, according to over the cap, is is they're in the red for 21, 21 million. So they're going to have to make some cuts. Um, if you hit cut on Ben Roethlisberger, it goes to minus two million. So it saves them about eighteen million. But I do think it. I do think it carries over in terms of it costs them twenty two million on their cap number, yeah. but it also gives them cap room. I don't. It's all confusing how the salary cap works. I find it fascinating, um, but um, I think that's the way to go, and, and maybe go a cheaper option. You know, someone like a Sam Darnold or, or something like that, potentially depending on what they do. Drew Locke could could work as well if if he gets cut. There's there's plenty of reasons. Even a Ryan Fitzpatrick like uh, scenario for a year as a bridge quarterback. Mm. could work because he's shown a lot more this year than Ben Roethlisberger has in the last 18 months. I mean, Ben's been injured, he's carried injuries, and he's also uh, not afraid to tell you that he's injured as well um, <laughs> and, and seek pity for you. But um, where do you think his Steelers? <laughs> where, where, yeah, exactly. Where, where do you think his head is in, in regards to playing on next year? I don't know. I think he. I think he's done. I mean, everyone talks about Philip Rivers being done and, and all that sort of stuff, but, and, and Drew Brees being done, but I think Big Ben might be the most done out of everybody. Mm. So um, I, I'm not really sure. I mean... He's not my favorite quarterback. Like he's a he's a good quarterback. He's probably going in the Hall of Fame, but um, yeah, I don't I don't really care to be honest. What Big Ben does doesn't really <laughs> doesn't really impact the AFC or the NFC too much for my liking. Like wherever he goes or wherever he stays, I don't think it's going to dramatically change things too much. True, true, and fair. Well, while while we're on veteran quarterbacks and and aging quarterbacks that that are done, um, here's one that's not done just yet. Tom Brady has still got it. 380 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. As I say, Monty Python, I'm not dead yet, and Tom Brady is not dead yet. 
he's uh, he's playing some very good football at quarterback. Um, he's had a good year. He's been top 10 quarterback all year at, at Tampa Bay, and um, he had a very good game on the weekend. And uh, I think he's he's busting for another another ring. Did you see that photo of Tom Brady next to George Blander? No, I didn't see that photo. They put that on the broadcast and showed two 43-year-old looking quarterbacks. George Blander looked about 80 years old. I mean, <laughs> he was that's what happens when you smoke and drink like in, in the you know in the you know early whatever whenever it was 60s 70s whenever. And Tom Brady looks like a like a superhuman almost uh it's it's pretty crazy how how like how much better he looks and it's almost suspicious how good he looks because it, um, you know he's what got it that is? witch doctor guy. I don't know. I think he's on drugs. Like I'm, I'm, I'm going to say it. <laughs> you know what it is? He still looks. He still looks like he's a 22, 23 year old, four year quarterback coming out of college. That all American kind of guy, straight out of college. Or, you know, after a four year college career, he still looks like that. He looks like he's 24, 25, about to join the league, and it's just ridiculous. It's very frustrating uh, because you know I just want him out of the league to be honest. Because I want to <laughs> see other quarterbacks in the playoffs. Um, but you know he did play well. Um, but their O line is playing phenomenal at the moment. Uh, they lost Alex Kappa though, which which hurts them a little bit. Um, but their O line is is very very good. Tr- Tristan Wirfs is looking like a, a stud pick for them, and you know he's playing very very well, and that helped them a lot um, against Washington. He had a lot of time, and 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 they found Antonio Brown. That that connection is probably the most frustrating part as well. Is, is <laughs> Antonio Brown is coming along very nicely, and, and he probably shouldn't be in the league because he's not a very good human being. Um, but you know, it's, it's good. It makes the NFC a bit more exciting and, and you've got a sort of a villainous character in there that, that everyone well, most people want to see lose. So, um, it always makes, always makes for entertainment, especially when you, when you have them taking on players like Drew Brees and potentially Aaron Rodgers next week. Yeah, exactly right. It's fun. I love it. Um, all right, we're going to talk about this because it's your team and you've been calling for it for forever, but Philadelphia Eagles fired Doug Peterson, uh, thoughts. Well, I said it was going to happen. I said it needed to happen, and it's happened. There's there's one more that needs to go, and that's uh, Howie Roseman needs to go. He's proven over the last three years that he can't draft. Um, his cap management, he's known for being a, a cap wizard, and the, the cap is a mess at the moment. So uh, he should go too, but it doesn't look like that's going to happen. Um, but, yeah, happy days in, in Philadelphia, new coach. Don't know who it's going to be. There's uh, a lot of names being thrown around, as, as with a few franchises, but um, some interesting ones as well linebackers coach from the Patriots and uh, we all know how those kind of line coaches go when they become head coaches elsewhere, Matt Patricia. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just interesting times, interesting times, but I'm, I'm happy with that. You're happy with that? Uh, yeah. I, I find it interesting. It, it, it's tough. I, I, I was pretty annoyed to be honest. And then I, I listened to uh, around the NFL during the week and, and listened to Greg Rosenthal talk about it. And, and he made a good point that like when you walk into a board meeting with a coach and, and, a, and a GM and, and you hear what's going on there where apparently Doug Peterson wasn't allowed to pick his own offensive coordinator. And, you know, like it's hard for them to say, all right, we're going to fire the GM, but keep the coach. Mm. I think that makes, makes more of a sense. And someone had to, someone had to go for this season and the way it is. And I agree that Harry Rosen probably should have gone as well. Um, but you know, maybe he's smooth enough to talk Laurie over and, and say, look, we'll work this out and I'll solve this. I'm a cap wizard. I'll, I'll, I'll get it done. So, I mean, there's still a chance he can, Get it done, but I'm with you. I don't know if Rosen's the answer. I think, and I also heard on around the NFL that they haven't had a uh, a, pr- 
pro bowler since they've drafted in 2016. The only one's Carson Wentz, and he's yep. probably the biggest question mark at the moment on your roster and, and your cap. He's a reason for your cap nightmare as well. Well, yeah, definitely one of them. I mean, there there, there are some other there are some other ones, and you look at Sean Jackson and and some of those veterans and the contracts that they're on as well. Um, I mean, when when Carson Wentz was given that that contract, there was there was reason for it, right? But even when we re-signed Deshaun Jackson and and some of those the older guys, um, you know, there was there were question marks then about some of these injury prone guys coming in on still decent contracts, you know, in their 30, 33, 34 year old season. So there's some there's some decisions to be made there regarding the cap and regarding the roster. But I mean, t- to his credit, Roseman did refresh the cap when he came in as as GM in 2016, he, you know, our cap was a mess then and he, he fixed it. We won a Super Bowl. Um, you know, I'm not saying it was all down to him, but, but he made, he made some tough decisions and, uh, did some good things with the cap, but definitely feeling the pinch now. And, and yeah, I think he, I think he should have gone with Doug, but something had to happen. Um, yeah. I think that the franchise and, and Jeffrey Lurie's made the decision that Carson Wentz, he wants Carson Wentz to stay. And that's why Peterson goes and not Roseman. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I think both of them should have gone, as, as I've said a few times. Yeah. I mean, this cap situation, I didn't even realise. $51 million over the cap for 2021. Mm. Cutting Carson Wentz puts you to $76 million over the cap. Um, so that's that's phenomenal. Um, yeah. I mean, you can cut him after June 1 and it doesn't change the cap at all, but you don't get anything for him. And, um, like, I don't know. It, it, it is a nightmare. So, you know, mm. trading him is, is going to be hard as well because no one wants to take on that huge huge cap number as well. So it's going to be a still, off season. Yeah, it is. It's, it's probably the most important off season that, that the Eagles have had in, in a decade. Um, yeah. But you, look, I, I really, I'm really interested to see what happens with Carson Wentz. I still believe that he'll be the starting quarterback week one, 2021 wow. and Jalen Hurts will either be the backup or will be at another franchise. Um, okay. So you think that might be the trade instead? Potentially, potentially. Yeah. yeah. I mean, just invested yeah. a second round pick on him. Uh, which was crazy. Yeah, it was. That was crazy in its own. And it just goes yeah. to one of those things that, you know, one of the reasons why I've been so, so down on Howie Roseman this season is, is that you, you know, you invest in a, yeah. a franchise quarterback to that level with that sort of contract and you go draft a, a competitor in the second round. It, it makes no sense. Like if Carson Wentz was 34 and in the last two years of his contract, then sure, you, you looked at the future, yeah. but you've just given him, you know, a shitload of money. So yeah. Exactly. It's hard. Um, all right. Who would you want as Eagles coach? Uh, just give me one or two names. Um, yeah, good question. I think Brian Dayball would be my number one option. Yep. Okay. And where would you like to see Doug Peterson land? Because I still think he's a good coach and deserves to be a head coach in this league. I think I think he's a good coach. I think that he would be the right man in somewhere like a Houston that is okay. just – like they need they need stability. I think he's he's a very stable guy to have leading your franchise. I really like yeah. him. I think he's a good human being. I think he's a good yeah. coach, and I think the situation just didn't work out in, in Philly yeah. this year. But but especially if they the- keep if they keep Deshaun Watson, then uh, if, yeah. if he's still in in Houston, then I think Doug Peterson's a good coach for Houston. Yeah, we might um, we might talk Houston next week about that entire mess because more and more will come out over the next week once they mm. lock in a head coach as well. But I, I do have a feeling that Doug Peterson spends twelve months away from football. I mean, he's getting paid for the next two years anyway, so wouldn't surprise me if he if he waits I, a year and finds the perfect a perfect. Job. I think he's I think he's the perfect coach to um, to go to the Jets, take on mm. Justin Fields. You've got a relationship with their GM from Philly. 
Um, Interesting. I think, that's a, I think that's a great landing spot for him. I think it's I think it's perfect. Um, he can bring in his own coaching staff because he will be allowed to do that there. I just don't know whether Houston would be like imagine going from this def, you know dysfunctional organization and then going to somewhere arguably even worse. I feel like that's just terrible for <laughs> Doug Peterson's mental health. But um, I think the Jets or nothing for me. Like and and take twelve months off and then come back. Mm. But yeah, I think I think that's a great logical fit. Um, but the Jets are zeroing in on. Robert Sala, which I like Robert Sala, but I think unless he's bringing in like a gun offensive guru, I think you need an offensive minded head coach if you're mm. taking a quarterback at number two. And, and I think they will be, but uh, we'll wait and see. Um, on the other side of things, the the Seahawks, I mean, I found it funny that um, on the same day that they fired Brian Schottenheimer, um, they doubled the Pete Carroll doubled down on, uh, on being a better running team next year and then sacking the guy that, was your issue for running too much. He wants to run the ball more and more efficiently next year. I mean, Russ will never be able to cook, unfortunately. It's a bizarre it's a bizarre situation. And, you know, one of the things that I want to talk about was that this is not the first time that, that Wilson and the Seahawks offense has started in the second half or, or late in the season. And so I wonder what, what happens in Seattle, you know, once you get past, you know, week 12. Um, because that offense was firing on all, on all cylinders. And then something changed and they, they decided to run the ball more and Pete Carroll started calling run plays and, and taking the ball out of Russell Wilson's hands. And it was something, you know, didn't understand it when it happened, haven't understood it this whole second half of the season. And I still don't understand what's going on in Seattle, but I, I'm not sure yeah. that Schottenheimer was the issue. It feels like watching those, those Seahawks games that it's, it's Carroll's play calling. Yeah, imagine having one of the most athletically gifted deep throwers of the football of all time and being stuck in the mindset that, I want to play 1970s football. It's it yeah. just it's fucking stupid. I mean, like it's just it just felt like forcing the run for the sake of forcing yeah. the run. Yeah, it's turning me into a Russell Wilson. Like I feel sorry for him, <laughs> and I should never do that because Seahawks fans are still trying to bring up like Andrew Luck now. Like, Russell Wilson versus Andrew Luck. It's like, I mean, he's been retired for like two years now. Like just move on. I mean, it's making it hard, but I actually feel for Russell because I feel like he deserves a more sort of quarterback friendly offense at this point. I mean, he's got weapons like let's, let's use them. I mean, but yeah. he was awful in that playoff game. Even when they he threw was. the ball, he was, he looked terrible. So um, yeah. All right. Well, well, we'll talk about that LA defense in a little bit, but um, futures. Normally we have James on the talk futures. We probably should have hit, hit him up and asked him if he had any teams he was eyeing off, but is there any NFL futures that, that interest you right now looking around? I mean, there's not a whole lot of, on offer in, in the Australian market. Um, but is there a team you want to back for the Super Bowl right now if, if you were to have a bet? I mean, really the only thing that I can find is, is the Chiefs at anywhere between three and 350, really. It's, it's hard to find value on, on Super Bowl winner markets at the moment. And that was that was about it. Um, there's not much there that I like at the moment. Yeah. I mean, for me, the only thing that I kind of really like, and it's a big juicy thing, and it's I, I still think the Ravens are, are a really good chance to make the Super Bowl. Um, I think if they win this week, I like them against the, the Chiefs, even though the Chiefs smashed them earlier on this season. Um, I think the Ravens are, are better this at this point of the season than they were for most of the regular season. Um, so I like J.K. Dobbins for Super Bowl MVP at 150 to 1. Um, I might just, you know, chuck a sneaky quarter of a unit on that or something and just and just you know ride that rather than taking them to win the Super Bowl 
um, because their Super Bowl price isn't isn't great. Um, I think it's just under ten dollars, so mm. um, there's not a lot of value for that. For that, as you said, as apart from the Chiefs, around three dollars. But um, yeah, there's not not a huge amount of interest. I think if I'm if I am going to take an NFC team, I'll take the Bucks at like the eleven dollar mark um, mm. because I I think they beat the Saints this week, which we'll talk about. Yeah, have, have I mentioned how much I, I really like J.K. Dobbins? I think he's he's an absolute gun, and I think over yeah. over the next kind of five years, we're going to see exactly how good he is. But um, don't mind that at triple yeah. digits. Perfect. All right. Well, uh, let's get straight into divisional round. Unfortunately, it's a, a traditional divisional round, so we don't have a uh, a fancy word in front of it like super. Um, <laughs> so it's just your standard run of the mill divisional round. But uh, here we are. We've got four games for us. Uh, and let's start with LA at Green Bay. Green Bay are six and a half point favorites, seven at some places. The money line, LA is three fifty. Green Bay is $1.30. Total is 45 and a half. And the Super Bowl odds, as you mentioned, LA $29 to win the Super Bowl and Green Bay around four fifty to win the Super Bowl. Uh, what have you got for us? I mean, I think if anyone likes LA to win this week, then that $29 on the Rams to win the Super Bowl is not a bad little play to have a, a nibble at. But, um, yeah, there, there's not much value there. I think this, this is a really tough game to look at because you were looking at the number one offense in Green Bay. It's number one defense, number one scoring defense of the Rams. It's such a good matchup. You've got Devontae Adams and Jalen Ramsey. You've got Rodgers and Donald. I mean, this is a, a perfect matchup for, for playoffs. And anyone who's listened to this podcast knows that in a normal year, everything being equal, I normally take that the defensive side, especially in playoffs, and especially when that defense features Aaron Donald, who might be the best defensive player of all time. But we're in this year, we're talking about an offense that features a quarterback with the two highest passer rating seasons of all time, well, at least since they started recording that, that metric, and two of the top four QBR seasons of all time. Um, and historically, the highest scoring season of all time, when you look at points per team per game, this is this is one of the, the most offensive heavy seasons I've ever seen. Um, yep. And it goes against everything I know, but I'm going the Packers here and, and I can't help but take the, the line. Yeah, it, it, it's it's funny you say, like, it is 2021 and I think offense has been the story of the year, really. So, I mean, it's not that egregious to, to take an offense here. I think it's not a bad call, Nick. I think it's pretty good and I love the call about Aaron Donald. I agree. I, I love Aaron Donald. I love watching him play. It's it's so fun. And um, I don't think I, really I don't think I've ever enjoyed watching a defensive player as much as I like watching him. Yeah, I could not agree more. I mean, it's just so much fun to just watch him just every snap. It's just it's unbelievable. And I'm really keen on this game because it's littered with amazing matchups. And you touched on a couple of them, but I mean, Devontae Adams against Jalen Ramsey, like that's as you said, a chef kiss. Um, Aaron Donald versus Corey Lindsley. Corey Lindsley was the All Pro center, so this is the best center in the in the league according to All Pro voters against the best defensive player of all time according to the Punt Return podcast. Um, and you've also got Cam Akers against the Green Bay's rush defense, and that's definitely the matchup that the Rams will want to use to exploit, you know, the Packers mm. and, and potentially win this game. You've got Aaron Rodgers versus Brandon Staley. Um, Staley is a, a rising head coach candidate, and if they can shut this this team down and, and win, then he's definitely getting a, a position as a head coach. And um, I can't remember where I heard it or where I read it, but someone who watches Rams tape 
exclusively has, has never been more confused about how a defense works than watching Brandon Staley. That's how <laughs> technical and complicated it is. And he's just dialing up things that it's very unconventional, um, but it works. And I think that's awesome. Um, he's kind of like a Sean McVay, I guess, but on, on the defensive side. Um, and I think another key matchup is Jared Goff versus himself. I think that's <laughs> an important, I mean, it's going to be interesting, but you've got the MVP of the league going toe to toe with the defensive player of the year and the, the likely defensive coordinator of the year. I mean, all eyes are going to be on that aspect of the match, and rightly so. But the issue for me is on the other side of the ball. Can the Packers stop Cam Akers and the Rams' rushing attack? Um, and if they can, then I struggle to see how the Rams put up enough points to win this game for me. Um, I think Green Bay's defense has been really improved over the second half of the season. They're six in EPA per play on defense since week 10, and they finished the year 14th in weighted DVOA. I mean, Goss, another week removed from that thumb injury, which helps, but playing in the kind of frozen tundra, even though there's some nice weather predicted for, for Green Bay on this day, it's still going to be cold, still not mm. going to be warm LA weather. That's that's going to be tough. Um, Cooper Cup hasn't practiced all week as well. I mean, if he's out or limited or hobbled, you put Jair Alexander on Bobby Trees, and, and I think they should be able to lock down. Um, I think the Rams' defense will keep, this in, keep them in this game for a long time. Um, but this offense has been nearly impossible to stop all year, as you said. They're, they rank first in several key categories, yards per drive, red zone success rate, percentage of drives ending in, in a score, turnover rate, and so on. So eventually it, they'll crack, and I think Green Bay will, will win this game. Um, although my numbers have it Green Bay minus 5.5. So I do lean Rams plus 7 if you can still get it. But in saying that, in saying that I'm staying clear because I'm not – clear on how healthy Cup, Donald and Goff are. Uh, I know Goff and Donald are playing, but we don't know what percentage they're at. I mean, if they're playing and they're only at 60 or 70%, then that's massive. That's your, your quarterback and your best player. Um, so that's why I'm steering clear, but um, I think the first to 30 wins this game. I think that's hmm. uh, I think that's pretty much where I'm at with this game. You mentioned the, the Rams rush attack, and you're right, that, that is the big worry for the Packers because they're horrid against the run. And the, yep. the Rams' three-headed beast that I, I like to call it in, in Akers, Henderson and Brown is is really tough to stop because they're all different. They all have different skills and abilities and, and yep. they're, they're just incredibly hard to stop, especially when they get in the red zone because they're so multifaceted. Um, yep. And that, that's going to be the big worry. But if if Green Bay's defensive line can hold up for long enough, then I think, I think that they're good. Yeah, I mean, they... The, the Rams ran all over the seventh rushing defense last week with the Seattle Green Bay 18 in DVOA against the, against the run. So it's an easier matchup for Akers and co, but it's a lot easier if, if Green Bay don't have to defend Cooper Cup and Robert Woods so they can put more bodies on stopping the run um, and just play sort of man coverage on, on, on the outside. But I, I think Packers losing this game would stun me more than any, like any team losing this week, but I still think the Rams can cover, but. Again, I'm staying clear with that uh, with that uh, injury cloud over so so many key players there for, for the Rams. Yep. Um, all right, let's move on. Baltimore at Buffalo. Buffalo minus two and a half the money line. Uh, Baltimore around two twenty. Buffalo around dollar seventy. Total is fifty. Um, I'll make sure that hasn't changed overnight. But uh, yeah, it's up forty nine now. The the Baltimore Buffalo mm. total. Um, so there you go. If if you like the over, bit a little bit of extra value there. Super Bowl odds: Baltimore at eight fifty, um, and Buffalo at seven dollars. This is the game of the week for me. Um, I think it's it's an awesome game. And when I look at it, uh, I keep coming back to 
to Baltimore. Uh, last week, the, the Ravens beat a team that they match up horribly against, and that's part of the reason you picked the Titans against Baltimore last year and this year, and it, and it paid off last year. It paid off earlier this year. It just didn't pay off last week. The way to beat Tennessee is through the air, and that's something the Ravens don't really do to teams. They're, they're not a passing offense at all. They're a rushing team, but it didn't matter because this number one rushing attack, they ran right, and and their defense took on a team averaging 396.4 yards per game. And after taking a, probably a moment to figure things out and, and they put themselves in a little bit of a hole, they allowed just 83 yards over the final three quarters against this Titans team that's been straight up balling all season. So um, it's it was a, a massive win for the Ravens, and it, it, was a, it was a game that I was thoroughly impressed by, despite the scoreline. I think their defense has now allowed 14 points or less in four straight games and fewer than 20 in six of their last seven games. This week, the matchup skews a little bit more in their favor in terms of the offense. Only two teams have allowed more rushing touchdowns to QBs than the Bills, whose main focus will be you know, stopping the Ravens' powerful running game. Um, Jackson Lamar Jackson has 88 carries for 637 yards and six touchdowns on design quarterback runs this season so at, at, 17, at 17, 7.2 yards per carry. That's not factoring in any scrambles that, that may have not been designed for him. And the Bills, they've given up 4.6 yards per rushing attempt this season, eighth worst in the league, and they've got the 17th ranked rush defense overall. I think the blueprint I point to is this Cardinals game versus Buffalo. It was the last time the Bills played a mobile quarterback and the, the Cardinals had 217 yards on the ground. They were missing Matt Milano, and I do, do think the Bills' defense, especially their run defense, has improved lately as opposed to this matchup, but 61 of those yards went to Kyle Murray, who found the end zone twice. I think this Baltimore ground attack is even deadlier, and this defense will do a better job at containing Buffalo um, on, on offense than what Arizona did. They, they match up a little bit better. So it took a Hail Mary pass to Hopkins for the, the Cardinals to win that game. I think it'll take a little bit less than that, potentially, for the Ravens to win. Um, and, and I think Mark Andrews, and I think you're with me on this, and, and I'll throw to you in a sec, but I think Mark Andrews could be in for a big day against the Bills team that gave up 14 receptions and 136 yards and a touchdown to the Colts' tight ends last week. I think Andrews will be the top target for Jackson this week with Marquise Brown on on Tredavis White. So um, I, I like the Ravens here. Um, I know home field is important, but in the playoffs, it's probably less important in 2021 just because there's no crowds and, or limited crowds, although... The Colts did mention that 3,000 Bills fans were extremely loud and they are fucking crazy. Um, but the Ravens, they're 11 and 6 lifetime in postseason road games. So they're, they're not afraid to, to win on the road. So I like Baltimore, the money line here. I took plus three, uh, earlier in the week. If you, if it bounces back up to there, I would take that as well. I like Mark Andrews over 55 and a half receiving yards and I like Lamar Jackson anytime touchdown at $2 plus. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you 100%. And you mentioned it before last year, my big call through that that second half of the year was the Titans were the perfect team to beat the Ravens in playoff, in, in the playoffs. And you and James both laughed at me when I was, we were about week 14 or, or whatever it was that, that we spoke yeah. about it. Um, but I rode that big time and, and I kind of felt like last week I had to follow, follow that again last week. And that, that kind of killed me, but I was, I was pretty confident and uh, I got it wrong. But this week, I think that, on the flip side, the Ravens are the perfect team left in the playoffs to beat the Bills. We know the improvements that, that you know, the Bills made on offense this season, but I think that they overcorrected. And even though they had a big improvement late in the season, their defense has suffered because of the, the, 
the focus on offense and, and, you know, Josh Allen's having one of those seasons that, that none of us saw coming. Uh, yep. But I think that their, their defense has suffered. And, you know, you, you mentioned Buffalo's rushing defense. They're coming up against a team with the number three rushing offense in the league. Adding that to the elite offensive line provides the most amount of yardage to running backs and the number one O-line for open field yards, which ranks where the runners earn more than 10 yards past the line of scrimmage divided by the number of carries. We know that this Ravens team is going to run the ball. We know, we know that, like, we know that. Can the Bills stop them? That's that's the big question about this game. And you're right about that Cardinals comparison too. Kyle Murray is dynamic. He, he kills you both ways, but he's not the downhill runner that Lamar Jackson is. He's not as powerful as Lamar Jackson. And if I had to choose, talking about runners, if I had to choose between Kenyon Drake and Chase Edmonds or J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards, I'm, I'm taking J.K. and Gus almost every day. Um, and again, like you said, Mark Andrews, I think he's going to be Lamar's safety blanket all day. No offense to, to Jack Doyle and Trey Burton at, at Indy, but Mark Andrews is, is a different kind of cat and he's big time. Um, and it's really strange. I mean, he's, he's got 13 or 14 touchdowns in the last two seasons. Um, in three playoff games, Andrews doesn't have a touchdown. I think that changes this week. Um, I think Buffalo have had a, a far superior season. Don't get me wrong. And I'd love to see them win this game. I told you during the week, that I'd much rather see the Bills win the Super Bowl than the Ravens. But they're still at the start of this journey, and we've seen the best of the Bills this season. And if they can keep building over the next couple of years, then they're going to be a real force to, to be reckoned with. But the Ravens are a bit further ahead in that in that journey. They got slammed last year over the offseason. All we heard was, yeah, they're good, but Lamar can't win in the playoffs. Well, now they've won in the playoffs, and I can guarantee that they're going to be coming out this week to prove everyone wrong again. And if there's one team who won't mind that the sleet and the snow in upstate New York, and that's that's the Baltimore Ravens. So I like I'm, I've taken Baltimore at the plus two and a half. I've taken the Baltimore money line, um, and I like a, a couple of different player props. Like you mentioned, Mark Andrews, I think he's going to have a big game. I think he scores this week. Anytime touchdown, three dollars sixty it was the biggest price I could see there. You can get the, get anywhere between three and three sixty. Um, and J.K. Dobbins, his rushing line is uh, fifty seven and a half which he's gone over that in five of the last seven. It's interesting. You mentioned the snow and the sleet. Um, Lamar Jackson this week said he's never, ever played in the snow before in his life. So <laughs> that's definitely interesting, and it, and it worries me a little bit. I mean, it's not like he's throwing the ball, but he says he has no idea how to grip the football in the snow. Um, I'm not too, there might be, might be some mind games there. I'm not too, I'm not too concerned about no, Lamar it's just carrying the ball to, and. The way the way that they run it and protect the quarterback, I'm not too I'm not too concerned. Yeah, it's just something to monitor. Um, if you if you're wanting to get a bit more clarity, maybe wait for the weather report because I am worried a little bit about the snow as well. Because uh, I think if if uh, if you do get some slow, it does affect the Ravens running a game a bit just because they pull their their guards outside a little bit, and in the heavy snow, it's a lot harder for those bigger guys to to get find their feet and get moving as opposed to these uh these nimble defensive linemen that are just full of power and speed. But uh, I agree with you. And I took Andrews over 55 and a half. You think he scores a touchdown, maybe same game multi. If you, if you want to do that and, and combine mm. our picks 50 plus yards and, and anytime touchdown five fifty. Um, yeah, in some places, it. I'm sure you can shop it around and get better prices at, at, at anywhere else. But yeah, you're looking around $5 plus there or even closer to $6. So there we go. Both on the, like both on the, uh, Ravens here in the upset. So interesting, very interesting. Uh, we didn't we didn't have a lock of the week last week. Maybe this is a lock. Potentially, potentially. I, f- I think we might have a better one further down. <laughs> uh, all right, let's let's talk Cleveland at Kansas City. Kansas City ten and a half point favorites here. The money line is four eighty for Cleveland, dollar twenty for 
Kansas City. The total is 56 and a half. Now 57 and a half. Sorry, 57 and a half. That's a massive total. Mm. Um, odds, Cleveland 41 to win the Super Bowl. Kansas City, as we said, $3 to win the Super Bowl. Uh, what are your thoughts on this one? Well, I've given the Browns a baking every week. I reckon each time we, we record this podcast, I've asked nice a question. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, you know, I think the question has always been, from, from my perspective, are the Browns legit? And every week I've said, nah. But last week they <laughs> kind of proved that they are. You know, they beat the Steelers in, in the playoffs. And now they've got to come up against Pat Mahomes and the Chiefs. They've, they've geared up all year for the playoffs. They've cruised all season. They did what they had to do to win games of football. Mahomes has had his foot off the gas most of the year, and he's still been one of the MVP favourites all season. But now it's go time for Kansas City. Uh, I don't know if I need to go into into the data too much because almost all of it, as far as DVOA or, or nearly any other metric is concerned, is overwhelmingly in favour of the Chiefs, despite the fact that they've played at you know, 70 75% for, for 17 weeks. The, the one thing that does concern me is that the Chiefs' 30, 31st ranked rush defence against Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. But that concern is overridden by the fact that this is the 25th ranked pass defense against Pat Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, and Travis Kelsey in the playoffs. And uh, I think the Chiefs win. I think they win big. Yeah, I, I'm on the opposite side to you here. But if I lose this bet and, and probably and probably lose it easily, then I'll probably be kicking myself because I've been saying it all year and I agree with you that they kind of been in cruise control. It's, it kind of reminds me of like some of the LeBron James's teams that coast for portions of the NBA season because they know they're they're in the they're in the tournament, and that's all that matters is, is just getting to the tournament. And then Patrick Mahomes can activate sort of Super Saiyan mode um, and, and go from there. But my selection here isn't a big belief in in a certain team or, or doubting the Chiefs, or but it's just merely taking the number. I, I just don't think the Chiefs should be ten and a half point favorites against this Browns team and. And if they do win by 20 because they, they kick it up to 100%, then so be it. And then we're ready to, to bet on the Chiefs the following week. But um, the Chiefs haven't beaten anyone by more than six points since since their week eight stomping of the Jets. Um, and as we said, part of that's probably because they've been playing at 75%. But look, sure, the Browns got a little bit of help last week from the from the Steelers from the jump with that uh, snap over Big Ben's head and, and they kind of imploded a little bit. But the Browns went into the game without its coaches without a plethora of important players. They played some guy that Baker Mayfield literally introduced himself to in the locker room before kickoff. That guy played guard. Like that, that, That's staggering. That, that sound after the game where Baker Mayfield explained how he met that guy. I can't even remember his name. That's how. Um, and that guy played against the Steelers' defensive line, and they didn't allow a sack. Um, crazy. And sidebar from that, the Steelers have 70-something games straight with a sack in the regular season. Um, their last two playoff games, they haven't had a sack. That, that's amazing. That's amazing. That's something. That's something you just you wrap your head around the way the Steelers implode in, in the playoffs. But um, good on good on the Browns though, because like they get all these personnel back, um, and they go into this game with absolutely nothing to lose because no one, absolutely no mm. one, expects them to win this game. Going into Arrowhead, taking on the defending champs after a bye week, Andy Reid after a bye, and I know this is a cliche narrative. But I actually think that impacts the mindset of players because you just go in with no fear and there's kind of no negative repercussions. I mean, there was negative repercussions on the Browns last week if they got gutter stomped by the Steelers because everyone like you and I have been saying that they haven't been a legit team all year. And this was, you know, Baker Mayfield's playoff debut. He played well. They played well. They kicked up their bigger brother and division rival and, and they're still bitter about it. So I think that's a massive mindset for the Browns. And 
I think since week 10, the Chiefs' defense at 28th in EPA per play. They've been very, very vulnerable against the run, as you said, 31st in rush defense DVOA. They allowed 4.5 yards per carry to opposing running backs. They now face Nick Chubb, who's number one in rushing yards over expectation per attempt, number two in rushing yards total, and number four in in broken tackles. Uh, then you add in Kareem Hunt to the mix there. Um, so you can really see a blueprint for the for Cleveland to keep this game interesting. They run the ball well, keep Patrick Mahomes off the field, and they also need to stay aggressive. And, and Mayfield needs to continue making plays against the Blitz, as the Chiefs love to do that. And Mayfield's been very good against the Blitz over the last month. Um, so he should be commended for that. Um, but as you said, Kansas City should probably be licking their lips here when they look at this Browns defense, even with Ward and Johnson back in the secondary. The Browns just don't have the, the talent or the personnel to keep up with Kansas City. Um, like they've just got no chance. Ford's going to have to try and stop Tyreek Hill from hitting big plays over the top while they somehow try to contain Travis Kelsey underneath and up the seam. Um, but, you know, if, if Hill hits a few big plays, I don't think the Browns have a chance of, at all of any upset. Um, the only thing that can realistically stop the Chiefs from dropping 40 points here, I think, is themselves. If they get off to a slow start or, or a sloppy start, you've got to factor in that most of their starters haven't played since week 16. It's been quite a break for them. They could let the Browns potentially get out to a lead. Um, there's a chance the Browns can win this game, but more likely the scenario is the, I think the Browns score enough here to, to cover the spread. Um, so I, I like the Browns plus 10.5 here. Um, I'd like them at plus 10. I wouldn't take them anything under 10. Um, it's worth noting the Chiefs are 1-4 and four against the spread in their last five games as double-digit favourites, including an outright loss as 10.5 favourites to the, to the Raiders back in October. So... I like the Browns, but I, I probably like the over as well. I think if the Browns are scoring 30, then the Chiefs are probably scoring 40. Um, and it's, I know it's a massive total, but um, like it just seems like this could be a 70-pointer. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And I've got a question on the Browns for you. So I know yeah. I know he wasn't on the sidelines last week, but is Kevin Stefanski coach of the year? Yeah, I think he is. I think I called it last week before the game started, um, just because Flores laid an egg and, and botched the whole Tua Fitz, Fitzpatrick thing. <laughs> um, I think Stefanski's done really really well um and i know he wasn't calling plays but that was clearly his game plan mm. um you know uh, it was clearly the, the his difference... game plan for the steelers to snap the ball over ben roethlisberger's head <laughs> <laughs> i think the, the difference in in baker mayfield this season to last season is astonishing yeah. and it, i think yeah. that comes down to kevin stefanski yeah i think he should be commended i was a bit on the fence about that high i just didn't know me too I james was, was really very sure. high on it james was massive yeah, on it he was in the offseason yeah, was. that's true so James is right. Good on good on the Browns. I give him a chance. I, uh, one of my long shots this week will be Browns money line. Just for, I don't know. Just I just want to be on it if it happens. I think it'll be a momentous occasion if it, if it somehow happened. Um, all right, last game of the week: Tampa Bay at New Orleans. New Orleans minus three. The money line: Tampa Bay two dollars forty five. New Orleans dollar sixty. Total is fifty two. Unless that one's moved as well since last night. No, we're good. Um, and the Super Bowl odds are. Uh, Eight dollars for, uh, for the Bucks, six fifty for the Saints. Um, this is this is a tough one for me. Uh, the Saints have gotten the better of the Bucks twice this season, um, but I, I think since then Tom Brady and Drew Brees have kind of gone in opposite directions. Um, and we talked about uh, you know Tom Brady atop the show, and we know which one has gotten better. The one with the witch doctor and or or <laughs> drugs is it's getting better, obviously. Um, but it's very telling that the line is only three points, considering considering how easily the Saints won both these games. Um, and, and back in those games, Tampa Bay had a minus three turnover margin in the first game and Tom Brady threw three interceptions in the second matchup. I'm just not sure Brady will do that again here. Um, look, 
when you look at the the Bucks stats this season, they're, they're twelve and three straight up, nine and six against the spread against every team in the NFL, averaging thirty three point three points per game and only allowing twenty point four points per game on defense in those fifteen games. In its two games against New Orleans, Tampa Bay have only scored twelve points per game and allowed an average of thirty six points. I know it's only a two game sample size, but it is quite crazy how big the difference is between these two teams when they played each other. But you've got to kind of throw that a little bit out the window because this is a totally different ball game and the teams are in two different scenarios since then and, and especially when you look at the, the quarterbacks in terms of the play. The Saints were really scrappy last week, but I'm kind of happy to write that game off because I think the Bears are kind of one of those three or four defenses that really have really stifled the Saints in recent years um, and they've kind of always been a, a tough out for the Saints, and they also had a little bit of rust with Kamara and Thomas back after some extended time off. So I do think they'll be better for the run here offensively, and they know how to attack the Bucks a little bit better than they know how to attack the um, the Bears. The Bucks scoreline versus Washington I thought was a bit misleading as well. I think they left some points on the field, and they never really looked in trouble for me as, as much as the scoreline was close. Uh, and as much as it really pains me to say this, the offense is looking really good at the moment. They're running an offense closer to what sort of Brady thrived in with New England, and it's it's kind of paying off. Uh, I thought the Cameron Brait connection was, was smart from from Arians last week. I think he's a good receiver, and they they should be using him more up the seam and through the middle, where Brady's a little bit better rather than outside the numbers. Um, but this is still the best defense they've faced since since the end of season surge. I mean, they've had a real easy schedule. Up until now, I know Washington ranked higher, but I think the Saints look more complete top to bottom on defense. Um, and they've been playing quite well, but they've, I mean, they beat the, they beat the Lions, the Falcons twice. Like they've had a, a real cupcake schedule that's definitely made their offense look better. But at the same time, that rhythm and timing definitely helps. And it, having an easier opponent like that can certainly help you sort of build, build on that and, and help your, uh, help your timing and, and rhythm. For, for a matchup like this. But this game comes down to a couple of key issues for me. I think the Bucks really need to win pass blocking, the pass blocking battle up front against the Saints' D-line. If they can do that, I think they win the game. Drew Brees needs to not have any turnovers. Uh, he was he had some shocking ones uh, last week. And I think Brees needs to stretch the field a little bit more. He averaged under seven yards per attempt in both the meetings with the Bucks. So if you can stretch the field a little bit more, keep, keep the Bucks' defense on it and stretch them out, then they can be had. Um, and then the Bucks, the Saints' D-line, they just really need to get pressure like they did in the, both those matchups against Brady. The Saints are the better team top to bottom, but I think you've got to factor in playoff luck here, and the Saints have had some of the worst luck in recent memory. They used up all their good luck recovering an onside kick in, in a Super Bowl against... Uh, uh, well, a Super Bowl I don't really want to talk about. Let's, let's leave it at that. And, and Brady's been... As much as Brady is a great quarterback, he's a good quarterback, I'm not... My... Uh, Fun jabs at Tom Brady over the last seven years of podcasting is is still coming from respect. I think he's a great player, but he's also the luckiest player in playoff history. He's benefited from more good luck than anyone in playoff history. That doesn't mean he's not great. I mean, sometimes you need luck and you make your own luck and and that's it. But he's one of the luckiest players in Super Bowl history against a team that's terribly unlucky in recent memories in the playoffs. So something's going to go wrong here on special teams that cost the Saints this one or something's going to happen. It's going to be a funky weird decision or an over a bad call or something's going to fuck the Saints here. So I'm taking Tampa Bay plus three and a half. I, I took them plus three and a half when it opened. Doubt we're going to get that number again, but I think it's back out to plus three flat. So you could take the, the Bucks plus three, but I think Tampa Bay money line, I think they win this game. You know, some people say that Drew Brees isn't a Hall of Famer. Really? But yeah. Yeah. I've had this argument a few times. Drew Brees is one of my favorite players in, in 25 
odd years of watching the NFL. Drew Brees is one of my favorite quarterbacks of all time. Um, he has nine playoff wins in his career. Tom Brady has nine playoff wins since he turned 39, which is just, I mean, you talk about luck and, and obviously uh, you need, you need luck and, but you're right. Yeah. Those, those great players make their own luck and, and they, they yep. do the right things to be in those positions to have good luck. Um, I really want the Saints to win this one, but I can't bet against Brady and Tampa Bay right now because despite the fact that the Saints are elite across the board, they are the better team. They're number one in total DVOA. They're seventh in offensive DVOA. They're second in defensive DVOA. They're fifth in special teams DVOA. The fact that the Saints have, have just one category rated outside the top 10, and that's being ranked 12th in passing offense DVOA, like that's amazing. But despite yeah. that, Tampa Bay, second in total DVOA, three in offensive DVOA, five in defensive DVOA. And the big difference is that they're 26th in special teams. But this Tampa Bay team, they're, they're like New Orleans light. They're nearly elite across every category. And they've got Brady rolling back the clock like he, he knows how to, like he does in the playoffs. And uh, look, I'm not saying that Tampa Bay win this game. It's just too close to call. I'm not picking a winner here. But to me, even three points seems overs. I do wish I'd gotten the three and a half that you got early in the week. Because I, I think this one straight away. Yeah, I understand, but it's one of my one of my downfalls as, as a punter is that I don't look early enough. I, I don't take yep. those early lines, but um, I think this one's going to be this one's going to be really tight. I think it's under a touchdown, under a field goal, either way. And I think if you look at those odds, two forty five to one sixty, there's there's an arbitrage opportunity there. I'm sure you can shop around and get five or ten cents better each way. Um, if you if you shop around and and do it right, get the timing right. So have a look for some guaranteed profit if you shop around. But keep an eye on this one. I'm I'm taking the bucks plus three. Yeah, if you bet in play too, I mean there'll be some value early on. If, if for Tampa sure. Bay get an early, if you're still a believer in the Saints and Tampa Bay score early, you could that price is just going to fluctuate straight away. Um, so, and if you're a believer in the Bucks and you think they can overcome it, then potentially wait till till after that first touchdown for whoever scores it. There's always there's always betting opportunities in play, but yeah, um, it's interesting that sort of both our locks are kind of underdogs here, Baltimore and and Tampa. I, I I think I'm probably more confident in Tampa plus three than I am Baltimore plus two and a half. I don't know about you for for a lot um, of the week. Yeah, I think just the fact that there's the extra point uh, or extra half yep. a point is is probably better. Yep. But yeah, I think I think both of those games. Funnily enough, I think both of those games come down to which team As the ball defends de- de- well. Potentially, yeah. yeah, but but defends yeah. against the the other team's strength better. Yep, and there's also a bit of weather concerns with Baltimore and Buffalo, so that could move around a little bit. So I think we'll lock in Tampa Bay plus three for for our first playoff lock of the week. Like it, so like it. There we go. All right, well that sums up divisional round. We've got Tampa Bay plus three, um, as we always do to finish the show. Um, our best bets and long shots, and and I'll kick start. I've got Tampa Bay plus three as one of my best bets. I've got Cleveland. Plus ten and a half is my other. Being against Patrick Mahomes in the playoffs, I can't believe I'm doing this. Uh, but I'm on Cleveland plus ten. The number's too big. Uh, my number is for this game. I think I, I have it. Kansas City minus eight. So it's going to be plus two and a half value here for me. Um, and I have Mark Andrews over fifty-five and a half receiving yards. My long shot, Mark Andrews, hundred plus receiving yards at five dollars. The Cleveland money line at four eighty. And I've got a same game multi here for a long shot. I'm not a huge same game multi fan, but um, I think the Packers win one to thirteen, and the total stays under fifty-three and a half, um, and that gives you three dollars thirty there in your same game multi. So they're my long shots. So mine are same game multi, and that I think that makes a lot of sense. That one, so I don't mind it. But uh, my three best have got J.K. Dobbins over fifty-seven and a half rushing yards. 
Baltimore plus two and a half and Tampa Bay plus three, as, as we've spoken about. And a couple of long shots, Mark Andrews, anytime, touchdown, $3.60. Nick Chubb, 100-plus rushing yards against that rush defense, 100-plus at $3.20. And a defensive touchdown in Tampa Bay, New Orleans, yes, $3.90 for either team to score a defensive touchdown. Nice. I like it. Mm. I think they had a, they've had a couple in their, their games this year from memory. Um, mm. I know in the second game, there definitely was a, a pick six, I'm sure. Um, so that's a, both teams a rely one. a fair bit on, on defense and scoring defense. So, you know, it's something, to, something to keep an eye on. Yeah. It's definitely, it's definitely something to monitor. Uh, any final thoughts on, on this week? Um, before we wrap things up? No, there's, there's some, there's some good stuff out there. It's just going to be a fun, fun weekend again to watch. It's the best time yeah. of the year. Football playoffs, looking, best time of the year. Yeah, and looking at the the matchups, like what would you know? Bets aside, what what would be your preferred sort of AFC and NFC championship games? Just in terms of the, for the fans and the viewing the viewing well, of the games. Yeah, good good question. Um, Packers <laughs> Packers Saints. Yeah, I think I agree with you there. Although Packers Bucks would still be fun. It's a rematch yeah. earlier this year. Um, that's yeah. the thing with the Packers is the two teams that they will likely face in the NFC Championship game of the two teams they lost to this season. Yeah, so, yeah, which um, is a worry, which is a huge yeah. worry for them. It's been a long, long time since that since that sort of Bucks game for the Packers, so I definitely think they can overcome it, um, but it is interesting. I think for the AFC, I think Chiefs, Chiefs, Ravens, or even Bills, Chiefs would be would be fun. Bills, Chiefs would be super fun. Yeah. Bills, Chiefs, but I, I think it's going to be Chiefs, Ravens. But yep. I would love it to be the Bills. Still- Still be a good game. All right. Well, that wraps up the show. We'll be back next week and we'll be talking about those two games and, and a whole lot of more. Oh, we didn't even talk Urban Meyer to the Jags, by the way. Oh, yeah. Which was, yeah. Which was the news that we had. Yeah. Um, I, I like it. I'm not sure how it's going to work with Shad Khan still having roster control and all that sort of stuff. So the dynamics there will will take some time. But obviously, Trevor Lawrence and, and Urban Meyer together sh- should make some sweet, sweet music. Yeah, I wonder. I wonder how much of that control he's going to give up. Given they've been negotiating this for a couple of weeks, oh, wow. and um, yeah. you know, I, I don't think Urban Meyer takes on this job without having a certain element of control to be able to do what he wants to do with this roster and this franchise. Yep. he's going to need time. You know, it's not going to happen in, in, in year one, but he needs yeah. time to build it the way that he wants to build it and to be able to to be able to run the kind of of um, game plan that he wants to that he wants to coach. So. I think that there'll be, I think that there'll be a, a definitely larger element of control for the head coach in, in Jacksonville over the next two to three years than, than we've seen. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now they just need to find a, a GM uh, for the Jags, so it's going to be interesting, interesting dynamic. But I'm, I'm, I'm keen to watch it, and he adds a bit of flair. Urban Meyer, I'm like, I'm not a definitely. massive fan, but he is entertaining, um, and and it should make the Jaguars a, a much funner team next season, especially with uh, with Trevor Lawrence at the helm rather than Mike Lennon. And, and co the clown car of shit quarterbacks that they've had this season. So, um, having said yeah. that, though, on, on offense they were they were fun. Like they did some good things on they, offense. This yeah, season. they did too. And, and yeah. uh, I think I think that's just another step. I think it's a good move for them. Yep, definitely agree. All right, well that wraps up the show. We'll be back next week, uh, either Thursday or Friday. We'll probably work it out over the coming weeks. But uh, as always, gamble responsibly, and you can find us on Twitter at Punt Return Pod. You can find me on Twitter at JYNFL and follow Nick's Twitter as well at Nick's Twitter. And until next time, have a good week.